Thank you, ladies. That's beautiful. I love that uh, the story of Ruth and Naomi in the Bible. Let me see what we got here. I can read. Oh, this is that pajama night thing. I love this PMS. Popcorn movie and share. I like that. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and these guys will gladly give you one. You have yours or ours or, who, or take the one from the person next to you. Whatever you need to do, turn to John chapter 13. John 13. A couple of things I want to mention before we start. Number one, I regretted to do it at the offering. If you are visiting with us when you leave, we actually have a gift for you on the left, at my left as you're going out. Be on your left as you're going out unless you go out backwards. Like Now we had Michael Jackson join our church last week. He did go out backwards, but that's a different issue. Anyway, as you're leaving on the left, on that counter over there, we have a gift for you. And Also, everybody get this pink sheet that was in your bulletin today? Everybody hold those up if you have them. You don't have them? You didn't get them? You're not awake? Microphone's not working? All right. I had them do this, and I think a lot of times it's helpful, was for me when my kids were in school, but as you plan your year with vacations and that kind of thing, uh, this is kind of our summer camp deal, May, June, July, particularly June and July. You're looking at stuff that's coming up, and maybe you want to plan some time if one of your children want to go on one of our youth trips or children's camps, so you'll know what's going on and other things. So that's going to that's in here now, probably in there periodically. But I would hang on to this, and maybe if you're picking your vacation at work or whatever, you'll have it to help you do that. All right, everybody find John 13? No? Yes? I'm not awake, are you? The new year. Let's be Denver Bronco fans. No, Tom Brady. All right, I know John Horn is happy because his 49ers, God's team won. Dallas Cowboys, apparently God has forgotten that they're America's team. The problem was they didn't put a whole permanent hole in their new building, the, the Jerry Dome. That's what the problem is. But <laughs> Green Bay Packers, that'll be a good one. All right, everybody find John 13. Last week, we began a new series called what? There on your handout, tell me. It's our hour. God, in his infinite wisdom, has decided that it's our turn. It's our time. And it has been since the church age. What you're seeing, it began when Jesus is instituting it here in his earthly ministry. What we're looking at in John 13 through 17 over the next few weeks is the last night that Jesus is on earth. He's gathered the 11 guys, there's 12, we're going to see how that ends today. There's 12 of them there, plus Jesus, 13 of them in that room, the upper room discourse. Jesus has them together. His last night on earth, he's preparing the 11, minus Judas will be leaving, he's preparing the 11 that were left to carry on. And I love this portion of scripture because here it is, he lays out for them, Guys, here are your marching orders. Knowing, even as he gives them his principles to carry on, they're not ready. He's poured himself into them intimately, including Judas, for three and a half years. They've seen him do the incredible things. They've heard him teach in a way no man has ever taught. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him change the molecular structure of something. A, a cask of water becomes wine at his spoken word. They've seen him heal people with congenital blindness. People who could not walk. He just said to them, get up. And they're able to... They've seen that. And still, they don't get it. 
You know, sometimes you hear people say, man, if I could have just lived when Jesus was alive, I'd have been right there. We're going to see today, Peter says that. Yet Jesus says to him, now, dude, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. We think, man, if I could have just been there, when he told me to get out of the boat and walk on the water, I'm your man. Peter was for a few moments. Then he began to sink. Jesus even told them, you have Moses and the prophets. You have the word of God. Even if a man rises from the dead, you will not believe, or they will not believe. This is exactly what happened. And even today, 2,000 years later, we have God's word. Even if Jesus were on earth now walking around and doing incredible miracles, man in his rebellious heart would still say, no, just like society as a whole did then. So what God in his wisdom again has done, Jesus came. And as we see in the upper room discourse, he reminds them several times, I'm going away, but it's going to be better for you. They don't get it. They don't want him to go, and you wouldn't either. In our human spirit and in our flesh, put yourself in their shoes. You would want the Messiah to stay there with you. But Jesus said, I've got to go away because it's going to be good for you that I do. So last week, as the upper room discourse opened, we saw Jesus get down and wash their feet. What I thought was incredible about that in this most poignant of nights, most agonizing day he's about to face, going to the cross, trying to prepare these 11 guys to carry on, the first thing he does is get down and wash their feet and say to them, I need you to serve each other. We need to never forget that principle. You notice on your handout I put it there for you. Last week, the first principle we learned in the upper room discourse was we are servants of each other. Jesus said, if I, your Lord and Master, and you call me teacher and Lord, if I am your teacher, if I am your God, and I am your servant, then you too should serve each other. And it's not about me. It's about what can I do for you. And I tell you from personal experience of being a Christian almost 42 years, the most fulfilled time in your life as a believer, no matter what your vocation is, even as a pastor, even when I was selling greeting cards, when I was in college, just in relationships in general, the most fulfilling times in your life as a Christian always revolve around when you're doing something for someone else. Whatever your gifts might be, exercising those on behalf of others, or just being loving, just being kind, just serving others. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, but I want you to notice is the last phrase, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We talked about this briefly last week, but in teaching them and beginning to open this discourse, the great moment had come, and Jesus, knowing that it was time to go, to fulfill God's great plan of redemption, his hour that he had loved them, he did love them, and he loved them to the very end. Yes, chronologically that's true, but it also meant he loved them to the nth degree. No strings. He loved Judas that way. Did he know what Judas was going to do? Yes, and he loved him anyway. By the way, it's a great picture. He also washed Judas' feet, knowing what he was about to do. We can learn so much just from that simple mental image getting down and washing the feet of the person who's about to sell you out to have you tortured to death. You can love that person. You can love anybody. Jesus loved them all, including Judas. 
including Peter, the one who's like so many of us, said, oh, I got it. You're not going to wash my feet. After he got it, he said, oh, well, wash all of me. Jesus, no, even Peter, who's getting I'm, I'm your man, would let him down, would deny him, curse his name. Jesus loved him. That's what we're going to see today. The second principle is love each other. Love each other. Now, in Christian circles and circles in general, we love, pardon the pun, we love to love, to love, to use the word love. In church, it's a big deal. I remember growing in the church I grew up in here in Memphis, it was a mainline denominational church. I think, I may be wrong, I was there every Sunday till I was 16 years old and I got saved and started going to another church. My mom let me. But up until then, it was get up, we're going to church, get up, we're going to church. We walked to church. It was like the fence of our house. The fence of our house was the parking lot of the church. So, it was, you know, you open the gate and you're on their property. So that's, mom said, we're going to church. Every Sunday, I believe, we sang, love lifted me. I think every single Sunday, we sang, love lifted me. Everybody talked about love. I never have any idea what love really meant until I met Jesus Christ. I was reading a story this week about a church that was having a, like a picnic after church on a Sunday afternoon, church on the, a picnic on the grounds, and they're all getting together and it, and it had like park benches out and they had a nice property and they're just out there having lunch together and there's this one guy sitting there, an elderly gentleman, probably my age, he was really upset and angry and just, just sitting around and he had that grim, that sour look on his face that a lot of people get at church for some time for some reason, whatever it might be. And this little boy goes up to him and says, sir, do you need to get saved? And the man said, I ain't know, boy, I've been a deacon in this church for 30 years. And I've been chairman of the deacons for 15 years. The little boy said, sir, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus still loves you. <laughs> and he'll save you. And I think sometimes we need to remember, it's as simple as that. I, 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 when I, I remember when I got saved, I was 16 years old. I've always been crazy. And not, thank you. And I've always been shy like I am now. But when I got saved, it was it was weird to me because I, I thought you're supposed to talk to everybody about that. That's what. You, so we I remember it was shortly after I got saved, we went on a trip to Florida. Everybody used to go to Panama City and they had this uh, water park called Shipwreck Island. I think it may still be there. I don't know. But we went there every year. So we're there. And, and I just walked total strangers. I just go up to them and ask them where they saved that they need. And, and everybody was laughing at me. I said, what's what's the deal? He said, you're embarrassing the rest of us. And I said, what are you talking about? I, I said, I thought that's what you were supposed to do. And then back at school, I got that reputation. Back then, I went to a Memphis City school. And, and back then, they, we had Bible study and prayer in our classes at Overton High School in Memphis, Tennessee. Well, nobody, I, I was president of my homeroom. Nobody in the, they said, look, let Randy do it. Nobody else wants to anyway. So for three years, I got to read the Bible and pray every morning. And, and I thought it was cool. I kind of enjoyed it. And I began to realize I like doing this. And really, it was kind of ironic. That's sort of how I began to discover, discover what one of my spiritual gifts was, and that was being crazy. That's not, list, that's not listed in Romans 12, but I think you can find it in the book of opinions that crazy, crazy for Jesus is a spiritual gift. All right, let's begin to look in John, the next principle for the, the principle for today, is that Jesus wants us to love each other. And I, I guess I was saying earlier, it kind of can mean anything. Let's look at what Jesus meant by it. Number one, let's start in verse 18. Jesus loved his betrayer. He loved Judas. As I mentioned a moment ago, we can learn a lot just from that. He loved this guy that he had poured himself into. 
for three and a half years, just like the, the other 11 guys in the room. Judas had seen it all. Judas was the treasurer. He carried the little bit of money they had. He was entrusted to carry the money around. And Jesus loved him just like he loved everybody else. That, just that principle alone we need to take from that. Jesus loved simply because Judas was created in the image of God. He was a human being. Jesus loved him. And he poured himself into him just like he did the others. Jesus loved his betrayer. Verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but, the scripture, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. Your Bible says I am he, but the he is not there in the original. There's a reason for that. Jesus said that you may believe that I am. He's doing something particularly for the 11 that are going to be left. He, number one thing that this is doing is that it verifies him as God. He knew what Judas was going to do in advance. Only God knows the future. I know you can go to the psychic network and other places and think that someone might be able to tell you the future, but they do not. That's one of the fascinating things about being a Christian is you could read the Bible and we actually know some things that are going to happen in the future because God has laid out certain things for us. Jesus was telling them in advance what was going to happen so that they would understand when it did happen, they would remember and believe that Jesus was the I Am, that he was God. But I want you to see a couple of other things. He who eats bread with me, eats bread with me, he considered Judas a friend, even though Judas was about to do what he was going to do with it. He was eating bread, breaking bread with Judas, just like he was the other 11. This was his friend. He who has lifted up his heel against me. And again, it's a fulfillment of Scripture when it's spent time going through all that. But the idea here in Greek and the idea of the metaphor of that was he who lifts up his heel against me was being kicked by a mule unexpectedly. That would probably hurt. But it's also the idea of kicking someone when they're down. Or the idea if you're running in a race with somebody and they're going to beat you, which is usually what happened to me when I was in any kind of race, and the guy next to you is going to pass you that you just kind of reach over and trip him. That's the idea. He who lifts up his heel against me. Judas was going to do that. Now notice verse 19 again. I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. That's his goal in telling them what's going to happen. Here's why. We'll see later on, but as you walk through the Gospels and you see exactly what happened historically, Judas betrays him. Now remember, if you were part of this group of 13 sitting in the room, how close were you? Couldn't be any closer than these guys were. And they'd been that close for three and a half years. And Jesus is their leader. He is their Lord. He is their teacher. They themselves have said that in this very room. He is their Messiah. And Jesus knew that when they discovered that Judas, one of their own, had betrayed them, they were going to need what? A little faith boost. A little reminder. You know, Jesus told us this was going to happen. How did he know that? Oh, yeah, he is God. He is the I Am, Exodus 3.14. Tell Pharaoh, tell the Hebrews, my name is I Am. By the way, John uses that throughout his gospel. Jesus says, I am this, I am that. We'll see he is, I am the way in John 14 next week. Just a little reminder that they were going to need, they were going to need that moment of encouragement, even though it didn't solve all their problems. Just a little faith boost. Now verse 20 again. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. I'm going to... He'll tell them as he goes through the rest of the upper room discourse, I'm going away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. A number of things that we're going to, going to see. But he's preparing them, you're going to go out. 
and you're going out in my name. And you read the book of Acts, that's what this is about. He's saying this is what's going to happen. And the book of Acts lays it out historically for us what did happen. Fast forward 2,000 years. What's the title of this series we're in? It's our, our. And Jesus says to us, Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he writes this, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. If you're born again, if God has saved you, he's left you on this planet because it's your hour. It's our hour. It's our time, our opportunity, our privilege to go out in the name of Jesus Christ, to love people, to share him, to see them come to him, to love, to care, to simply be there. Secondly, verse 21, we're not going to read all these verses. This grieved him. Look at verse 21. When Jesus has said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, or most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And so the next few verses they argue about who will that be. But what I want you to notice is that it troubled him. It says he's troubled in spirit. This grieved him. Remember, he had just watched Judas' feet. We talked about it. He had spent all this time in him. The phrase there in Greek, troubled him, means he was visibly upset. He was moved, and it was clear when you looked at him that he was in anguish over what Judas was going to do, that this deeply troubled him, or about the betrayer was going to do, and he knew who it was. He loved Judas. He loved him. We please don't miss that. In your mind right now, as you sit there, I want you to think about the one person in your life that hates you the most, would even wish you harm, not, maybe even physical harm, but just would not like for you to succeed, not, just does not care about you at all, maybe even hates you. The Bible says, love that person the way Jesus loved you. It will change your prayer life. It will change your perspective. It will change how you look at relationships. When you can look at the person that yesterday, as I was going back over this again, God convicted me about an individual that I ought to pray for who had that attitude, this attitude we're talking about toward me. He said, Randy, I want you to pray for this guy by name. Holy Spirit brought him to my mind. I want you to pray for this guy by name and ask God to do something good for him. Sometimes that's hard for us to do in the flesh because they want, they've got it out for us. Got it in for us. Jesus said, you love them. You love them. No matter what, you love them. That's the second thing. Drop down to verse 31. There's a lot we want to cover today. Drop down to verse 31. It glorified him. I love this. So when he had gone out, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God also will glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. I don't know if, it, if, if whether you can read or not, but if you can read, glorify is real important in those two verses. Glorify, 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 glorify. And you've heard me say it many times. If you don't have this definition written in your Bible somewhere, write it down. It will really help you just reading the Bible. To glorify him means now, now you're going to get a correct estimate of what I'm worth. To glorify God in your life means you're giving a correct estimate to other people of what God means to you. Sang that song earlier, all in us. Does God mean that much to you? Is Jesus Christ, who is your Savior, important to you? Or are you just glad he died on the cross so you could pray a prayer and go to heaven one day? Is God glorified in you? Not that you're perfect. These guys in the room are going to let Jesus down. They weren't perfect. Jesus said, now, I love this picture. Look, Please don't miss this one little word, verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now. Jesus said, now. What Judas was about to do, as horrible, as horrific, as it was as a terrible moment in their lives, Jesus said, this is it. 
now. He, his betrayal of me is about to set in motion the hour. Judas going out to betray Jesus was going to lead to the cross, which was going to lead to the resurrection, which was going to lead to the redemption of mankind, and you better be glad because you couldn't be saved any other way. Jesus said, now, this is how the world immediately and for all time will get a correct estimate of who Jesus the Messiah is or Jesus Christ because I will be glorified. Think about what the crucifixion was. A horrific way to die. Torture. It was for the most heinous of criminals. And Jesus said, in that, but Jesus is going to portray me too, in that I will be glorified. In that God will be glorified. In that, God will glorify himself in me. In that, people will be drawn to God. What Judas is about to do, as bad as it is, is leading to the redemption of man. Another short principle. Whatever may come in your life, as horrific as it is, does God know about it in advance? The answer is yes. Is he working for good? Romans 8.28 says that he is. It may be horrible in the moment, but eternity is more important. And it lasts forever. You trust God that he knows what he's doing, that he is sovereign in control, and you love through the difficult circumstances. Best picture in the world is Jesus hanging on the cross. Judas has betrayed him. They've beaten him. His vital organs have been exposed. They've spit on him. They've mocked him as the son of God, king of the Jews. And he looks down and he prays to the father and says what? Forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. He grieved him. But it glorified him. At the darkest hour of his life, God is being glorified. Secondly, verse 36, Jesus loved his denier, Peter. He loved him. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? We're going to come back to those other verses in a moment. Jesus said, Simon said, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Well, if there's any character in the New Testament that's like most people, any character that's sad and then ultimately used by God, it's Peter. Lord, I want to go with you now. No, you can't, Peter. You can't go now. You'll go later. No, Lord, you don't have to worry about me. I'm right there for you. Peter, let me just tell you something. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. What do you think Peter would have said? Not me, dog. Uh-uh. I'm your man. You see him in the Gospels before the rooster crows. He's around the fire, and a little girl comes over to him. A little girl. It says, did you know him? Were you with him? And he, the Bible says he cursed. Not just nod and get away, little girl. He was upset, embarrassed, terrified, angry, and he cursed. I don't know him. Three times. What I want you to see is Jesus loved him. Jesus knew his future. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified also. He did follow later, but he was crucified upside down. So he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like his Messiah. But you're going to go, just not now. Jesus know your future? Yeah. So you trust him. The other thing is, the second principle is he never gave up on Peter. Are you perfect? Nope. Are you born again? You're letting God down every now and then? I am. But he doesn't give up on you. It's your hour. He saved you just like he saved Peter and the 11 guys in the room that were going to let him down. We talked about it last week. If you looked around the room, you think, I'm going to leave it to these guys. 
I love the picture later on in John 20 and 21. They're fishing and they come in. And Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter answers, I love you like a friend. Jesus said, I need you to tend my sheep. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to tend my sheep. Do you love me? See, right here, I believe Peter was as sincere as he could be. I got my sword, I'm ready. We see it later with Malchus here, he chops it off. He was sincere. I want to fight. I want to set up the kingdom. He didn't get it. That's why I said Jesus. I'm, and Jesus is trying to lay it out for them. This is what I need you to do when I'm gone. My kingdom is not of this world. How many times has he told them that? I think Peter was as sincere as he could be. And I think Jesus was saying, no, you just don't get it. I love you. I'm not going to give up on you. He restores Peter. Peter becomes the leader of the church at Jerusalem after Jesus is gone. And then he passes the mantle to Paul. Paul takes the gospel throughout the world. In this room, Jesus is preparing these guys to carry on. He's sincere. He's loyal. He's not ready. All right, go back to verse 33. We'll wrap this up. Jesus loved his followers. And this includes us. One of the things you'll see as you go through the upper room discourse, Jesus is forecasting about those who will follow and believe later on. That includes us. I really want you to see this principle. Verse 33. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You ought to circle that phrase. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Just a moment, just for a moment, let's set the context again. It's very helpful. They're eating the Passover meal, all right? They're eating the Passover meal. It's where he institutes the Lord's Supper, which we still celebrate to this day, where he says, this is my body, this is my blood, and he's instituting that. At the Passover meal, as they would eat the Passover lamb, the father, the head of the family, whoever it was, which the oldest, the father, would invite the little children to ask questions about what's the meaning of this. Notice verse 33. Jesus gives them, he's instituting the new covenant, and he tells them we're in a new relationship here. I give you a new commandment. But notice verse 33. What's the first thing he says to them? It's a new relationship. Little children. First time, only time, he refers to them this way. And it's very intimate at the Passover meal where the little children would ask the head of the family. Who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. We are his family. He is our groom. We are his bride. We also are his family. He is our savior. He is our God. As the head of the family, he says to us, Little children, ask. Let me explain. Let me give you, lay out for you the meaning. It's a special, tender family term. John uses it over and over in his epistle, 1 John. It's really laid an impact on the Apostle John, Jesus saying this. As a matter of fact, John, when John talks about himself, he refers to himself as the Apostle whom Jesus loved. And you could think, well, that's pretty arrogant, dude. That's not what he meant. He meant, I, I can't believe he loved me, but he did. I, I, I love to think about that when I read the Gospels from my life. I can't believe Jesus loved me as much as he did, and he allows me to be part of what he's doing. It's our time. I want to make the best use of it, both for me, our church, us as a group of believers, that we're effective because it is our time. So he says it's a new relationship. You can't go with me. He'll tell them later on what he's going to do. But you're my little children. So then he gives them a new commandment. Notice he says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. A couple things I want to say about that. Number one, it's not a suggestion. Not a suggestion. 
You know, if you don't, you don't mind, you try to get along, guys. It's not an option. It is a commandment. When God gives a commandment, what does that mean? He expects it to be done. He expects it to be done. So Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment, love one another. Is that a new commandment? Hadn't God always said that? Leviticus 19, God said, love your neighbor. Well, it's not a new principle. It's a new commandment in the context of what he's doing. It's not new in time. It had always been God's principle to love each other, love your neighbors. Here's what he's saying. It's new in this new special relationship as the church. Earlier he had told them, you are my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. We have won because of who he is, and he rose from the dead. So in this special new relationship as his church, it is our time. He says, I give you a new commandment. I want you to love one another. The Greek there, this new, is, it means new and an experience that you've never had before. A brand new way. It's your time. He says, I want you to love as my family. And he goes on to say, it's used, the word love is used 12 times in John 1 through 12. It's used 44 times in chapter 13 through the end of the book. It is the emphasis of the latter part of the book. And John, in his old age, the historian Jerome records John as saying these words, Love one another, because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it be fulfilled, it is enough. In other words, if we love the way Jesus told us to live, it will take care of everything else, because it's the most important thing. So he gives them a new pattern. Verse 34, what's the pattern? Love as I have loved you. Love as I have loved you. Here's the Greek structure. Please, this is so beautiful. I want to make sure you don't miss this. Here, I'm going to read it to you in Greek. Not Greek, but translation. As I have loved you in order that you might love one another. Here's the idea. Because the next thing is he gives us a new power. The idea is this. Jesus just doesn't say, hey, I want you to love each other. That's my commandment to you. What he's saying is, I want you to love one another and you can do it because I'm going to do it in you. I'm going to be the power, I'm going to be the cause, and I'm going to be the effect. What's going to set you, my church, apart from the rest of the world, the new pattern, is that you're going to love each other in a radical way. As a matter of fact, you read history, the Romans didn't know what to do with the Christians because they were humble and they loved in a way they could not understand because Jesus Christ had changed them. We're going to see in a couple of weeks, he makes them an incredible promise. Yes, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one who comes alongside to help. You'll be able to do it greater than I've done. So he says, now, I want you to love. Paul put it this way. I can do all things through Christ. Everybody loves to quote Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The literal is this. I can do all things through Christ who has my capacity to do them. See the difference? It's not I can, I, I got it. It's that Jesus has got it and he's doing it in me. Paul put it this way. It's Christ in me. It's not me. I tell couples whenever I'm doing their wedding counseling, marital counseling, before they get married, where it says to the husband, love your wives the way Christ loved the church, I looked right at the guys and said, you can't do that. You can't do it. It's impossible. But Jesus can do it in you if you surrender to him. So he says, here's your power. It's me in you. 
Here's your pattern. Love the way I loved. And here's the measure. Verse 35, by this kind of love, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John later writes on your outline, in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Loving one another. Sometimes it's just simple looking at somebody and caring. Sometimes it may involve actually doing something. It may involve just going to someone and praying for them. I'm going to give you a simple example, a true story, and then we're going to pray. How many of you know who Josh McDowell is? Have you ever heard the name? If you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard of Josh McDowell. Back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, 90s, I think he may still be alive doing it today. Josh McDowell was an incredible apologetic speaker, wrote a number of great books like The Case of More Than a Carpenter, uh, evidence, more, uh, evidence that Demands a Verdict, More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. A lot of great books on how to defend your faith, how to share your faith. Uh, done a lot of great youth uh, work uh, years ago. One of the first guys I ever heard speak on how to do youth ministry. Anyway, the true story. Years ago, he was invited to speak at a, a, a university in South America. The university was very much, had, had communist leanings, Marxist tendencies. And so they were going to have this Christian speaker come on campus and, and, so a lot of people around the campus, if they saw his picture, if they, would get, they were going, the Marxists, the communists on campus were going and writing, he's CIA, he's CIA, all over the posters. Well, it backfired on him because everybody wanted to see a CIA agent. So they, when he showed up to speak, the place was packed. Now, Josh McDowell didn't speak their language. So all the protesters were there, the agitators, and he got up to speak. And every time he opened his mouth, they were screaming, they learned in English, filthy pig. But every time he opened his mouth to say something, they screamed, filthy pig. And other things in their language that he didn't understand, but he was told later were not very nice things. You can figure body language and tone of voice tell you what you need to know. And he said, I stood there for 45 minutes trying, and nothing was happening except they were screaming, filthy pig, CIA, and, and just nasty things at me. He said, I began to get frustrated, and I began to pray, God, why are you allowing Satan to be victorious in this? Don't you want me to share with them? He said, I, I didn't know what to do. I just tried and nothing was happening. After 45 minutes, this girl stood up who was the head of the student council, whatever they called it. He said the room got silent, so apparently she had some power, authority. And she came up there and she said, Mr. McDowell, if I give my life to Christ and become a Christian, will he let me show the kind of love you've shown us tonight? And he said it was incredible. 58 people gave their life to Christ that night. He said, all I did was just make myself available. God used it somehow. He said, I didn't, couldn't even communicate. But he loved them, didn't he? Remember, what's our goal for this year? We're going to be faithful. We're going to be available. We're going to be teachable. We're going to be fat for God. And it starts out by serving each other, loving each other, the way Jesus loved us. Man, if you're not saved, you don't know Jesus, I want you to know we love you. And even as we get ready to close today, and I know our time is almost gone, but if you're not saved, just say to Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for dying for me, loving me when I didn't love you. Please save me. For those of you that are Christians, bow your heart before God. Even as we sing, bow your heart, your spirit, and say, Lord, I want to be loving like that.
Bow your heads, please. Lord, just for a moment, we want to pause before you and thank you. We say the term so much, just love each other, and it gets, always gets caught up, I think, in religion and doing the wrong things. I pray we could just be like Jesus. Just look at a leper and say, I care. Look at somebody that's hurting and say, I love you. Look at somebody who needs to be told your money's not going to get you to heaven and say, sell everything. Give your heart to God. Honest love, tough love, caring love, compassion. Lord, I pray we would be like that individually and corporately. We would be known by our love. Lord, even as we sing today that Jesus Christ would be glorified. And each of us, those that are Christians, would just take this moment to be real with God, real with you. And Lord, if there's someone here who's not a Christian, they, this would be the moment to give their heart to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Please stand. Thank you.